I'm Ian Rodwell and welcome to the Linklaters Ideas Foundry, where we talk about and try to unpick the art of working together in the 21st century organisation. And my guest today is David Pearl. And if I'm honest, I'm a little uncertain as how I should describe David. Author, innovator in business and the arts, social change agent, street wisdom guru, opera singer. So I thought I'd just let David describe himself in a moment or two. And also, given the previous conversations we've had, I'm not quite sure what topics we might discuss during the course of this episode. But I suspect that somewhere along the line, new working patterns, the joy of virtual meetings, creativity and using the environment around us to seek ideas and inspiration will all make an appearance. Uh, so, David, welcome to the Ideas Foundry. Oh, it's great. It's great to be with you. And I say with you, I mean, it. we're not physically together, but in these days, this is together, isn't it? As long as we're face to face, hundreds of miles apart, probably. But thanks to the internet, we can see each other. It's, it's science fiction, people. Yeah, it's the new together, isn't it? The new together. Uh, well, it's, it's this, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this. But I mean, I think it's the, I love what you said about the art of working together. I think if I were to describe myself, uh, the kind of red, one of the red threads that runs through my work is this, this idea that whether it's the arts world or business uh, or social change, it's really about working together about the fact that, uh, you know, none of us is as smart as all of us, as punishing as though that is to your ego. Uh, we, we're better off together. Um, um, and um, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in the, the joy of that and the difficulty of that. And it, you know, manifests in the work I've done in with you and stuff in businesses but also the stuff that we do out in the streets with street wisdom and and also in the theaters so i'm happy to talk about any of that or none of that <laughs> well there's definitely so much to 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 explore and look we, we provisionally entitled this episode as out of office mm. and i am intrigued as to how you think the last two years has changed the way we work the way we engage and we interact uh, and is this, for example, you know, the long-predicted death knell of the office? Uh, you know, the human's ability to forget what they've learned is 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 monumental. So, I mean, I, who knows whether the lessons, painful and otherwise, of 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 pandemic will will hold? But I think it exposed a number of things about the office you know somebody that's written and thought quite a lot about meetings and I came to business quite late in a way my background's in in the arts as, as you know I mentioned I was I was puzzled about what goes on in these big tall glass and you know steel buildings and I you know, wrote a book called will there be donuts and I sort of I roundly teased businesses for what I call nearly meeting, not really meeting. And the idea was, you know, a lot, there was a lot of time spent in rooms, but like n not really meeting, just nearly meeting. And I think, you know, I think the architecture of a lot of our buildings reflects a kind of Taylorist tradition that somehow you've got to be seen to be working. And if we're all in the same place, we're somehow more productive than if we're not. And I think probably, I think, pro and also a slightly kind of, inhuman professional atmosphere is, is a good thing and I think all of those ideas were challenged I'm sure your lead your your listeners are all sort of nodding they've had their own experiences of that is it one or the other probably not I mean one could imagine a hybrid and everyone's talking about it. my clients are as well can we 
can we use the various locations and make them more fit for purpose? If so, I think we'll have learned a lot because there are some things, it's de definitely a good idea to be in the same geographical space and um, and others which are, it turns out aren't, it isn't, it isn't, so, it isn't so important. But I, I think, I think that for a lot of people that I speak to and I see, uh, the idea of working from home is not a panacea at all. It can be really difficult, but it did puncture this idea that everything we do requires a face-to-meeting, face-to-face meeting on floor nine. That was never true, and I think we've come out of the pandemic knowing it isn't. What we put in its place, well, I think that'll vary from, from, from business to business, and we could talk about some of the things maybe that people should and shouldn't do <laughs> in the future. Yeah, and, and I was I was wondering, Dave, because you know, one of the themes of Will There Be Donuts is, you know, encourages us to be more thoughtful about the meetings and, and actually to make them more pleasurable and, and humane activities. And, you know, just going back right to the beginning of, you know, what is the intent of your meeting? And I wonder whether it has, you know, the experience of the last two years has made us more thoughtful about what we do and how how we do it and also where we do it as well and whether that has been that has been one of the changes this this thoughtfulness and reflection about different activities and where they might take place yeah i i i i mean my own experience one and, and the clients that i've had i think yeah for sure that's happened I think it's had to happen because there were certain fixtures in the diary, the sales kickoff or whatever the heck it was called, or the, you know, the quarterly review that are there and have just have sort of grown into the, the the traditions and rituals of a business. And suddenly people are going, well, how are we going to do this? Do we need to do it? What are we trying to do? And you know, to 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 to, to go back to that 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 book, um, a slightly over long book, no doubt, uh, but it was my first book, so I'll let myself off the hook. Honestly, I thought they were going to edit it, uh, but they didn't. They just printed it as pretty much as I sent it to them. That's a rookie error on my part. Um, but I think the heart of uh, the heart of what I was trying to explore in that book was, as you say, the power of intention, which is something a bit different from objectives. So meetings can have objectives so that you know we'll review the Q4 numbers. We'll uh have you know we'll have discuss what we're going to doing etc etc there's a whole list of objectives what i like to do with meetings and with clients is to say yeah but that's the why you're there but what's the why of the why what what, what is this a what's this about what's the underlying value of this are we building confidence are we uh avoiding unnecessary errors are we looking after each other and those those deeper things i think I think the pandemic drained the bath on a lot of the nonsense and we had to think what what am I trying to do here do we need a kickoff face to face do we need to uh we do need it turns out for example teams were finding we do need to look after each other we need to connect as people how are we going to do it at a distance so I think that we learned the hard way that there are some and it will be team by team, company by company, individual by individual. But I think probably people discovered, you know, the things that are probably a bit dispensable, the things that are essential. And I, I, I like what you say about this, 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 this question, you know, what are we trying to do and where and when is the right time to do it? I think that's, that's something that 
you and I and others have been kind of talking about for a while, but I think suddenly the lights went on all over the world where people suddenly forced to consider that. Um, and miraculous things. I mean, what, what, what turns out people can do remotely or what, um, you know, how extraordinary in an emergency, what, and the intentionality is there's buckets of intentionality, right? You know, I'm going, I, I want to live, protect my loved ones, make a living and you know do the best for the world suddenly there was masses of that available and i i hope people remember what you know a global act of self-help looks like um and you know collective collaboration looks like because it was actually though painful pretty wonderful to watch thank 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 you david and the, and it, it's making me think you know we're just going back to that to that question about yeah, we have found that there are so many things that we can do apart. But those moments when we are together, and this, this is conversations I'm having with you know, several organizations at the moment. So we're back in the office. What are the, what are the things we should be doing there? Because it makes no sense to spend eight hours sitting in a room on a series of a Zoom or, or, or team calls. So you know, are, are there things that you would sort of recommend people to use that? that together time to do? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, I think there are some archetypal reasons people always have gathered and always will gather. And I think that we saw some of them and we, we understand them, you know, in, innately, but we, we were, that was proved to us during the pandemic. You know, one of them is build, human relationships are aided by being together. They just, there's something about the, the, the three-dimensional contact and being in a space. I think that's, uh, the social fabric is, is helped by being together. I think real conversations, it's, it's, it's uh, important to have them cut through the noise, cut through the chatter. And it's not impossible online. In fact, in some senses, in some sense, it's easier because you are face to face suddenly on thing, on, on, platforms like zoom but it's still possible to avoid real conversation there's something i think about being in a shared space that makes a real conversation easier certain types of creativity uh there's been a lot of talk about this but there's something in the we maybe talk about it when i mention street wisdom a bit later perhaps but um our intelligence isn't just in our head obviously it's embodied in us in our physicality and being sit, sitting immobile in front of a screen in your you know in your cell if you like in, in your house um does limit the it limits the movement it limits the the, the three-dimensionality of our thinking at one level so i think yeah you don't need necessarily to have a bean bag and a, all that kind of stuff but I think there is something about uh, I've noticed uh, that you somehow there's something more creative when you're walking and talking together or is sharing a room together. I think intimacy. I, I've I've worked a lot over the pandemic on what I call intimacy at a distance. And I think that it's been very salutary to realise these so-called labour-saving devices like Zoom and Teams and so on. So they they do they have massively saved labour travel time goodness knows how many megatons of carbon not spewed into the air but they 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 do require labor too they require effort and and will to create what intimacy at a distance you're not just like talking at a screen you're reaching through the screen through curiosity through 
empathy, to, you know, to really connect with someone at a distance. And there's a lot we can learn, I think, from TV and the film business, you know, who've been doing this for quite some time. So how do you bring the screen alive? Um, and I think, but I think intimacy is, it's, we, we, it's just, it's just more natural when we're doing it together, to, to, together in a room. Um, that said, I, you know, your question about what should we do in a room together and what, what should we do apart or what could we do apart? One of the things I would avoid doing, and I, I said this pre-pandemic, is, is information sharing. Think about how much time you're spending catching each other up on stuff. And it's like, really? Do you really want? I mean, that is one of the things the internet is quite good at is sharing information. And I, I would have challenged that before, and I really challenge that now. Um, and the, the only reason to do it is if there's a deeper intention. If, for example, you want to awaken your colleagues to dangers on the horizon, then share information for sure. If you want to acknowledge some of the incredible people in the room, share the information about what they've done. If you want to learn lessons from the previous, you know, uh, after action review, share information. But just the, just the, just the kind of, uh, I just want to catch you up on what we've all been doing. Be careful about that because it just eats, eats your lives. And I don't think that's as, as it, it can be quite comforting, but I don't think it's very valuable. David, it, it makes me think that you're talking about the, the creative moments together. Uh, and often I find the most creative moments are not what's badged the creative time. It's in the gaps. It's yeah. in when the creative, the creative discussions stop and you go off and you do something else or you get a drink or you start discussing something else entirely. And then you, you go back to what you had been considering and suddenly you get that, you get that insight. And those uh, there's, a, there's a great quote by uh, Paul Gilbert. He calls them liminal pauses. These liminal pauses in our in our in our meetings, that you don't necessarily get those on Zoom or Teams. It's very transactional. You know, after we've had our our, our chat, we will hit leave meeting and off we'll go. And it will be just like that. There'll be no wandering through the corridor, going out of reception, having a, a last few um, a last few words before we before we part. It's just that it's over in a second, and I wonder whether, you know, that's something that we that we lose in this environment. Those liminal pauses. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. You know, the, that idea of this threshold, these kind of invisible thresholds we're stepping over. Yeah, I yeah, I couldn't agree more. Although I will say, I think we missed them before. <laughs> it wasn't. I don't remember business prior to that being full of people luxuriating in the in the a-causal coincidence, you know, happening, which is where street wisdom comes from, if I can just briefly talk about that, which was um, in order to promote that kind of non-linear thinking um, and to get people out of the rectilinear kind of uh, conventions sometimes of businesses, I used to take them out into the street. And over the time, it built up into um, what you and I both know as street wisdom, which is a, which is a, it's a technology, I guess, it's, it's more of a creative practice I think, and we, I think of it as a workshop, and it's basically a workshop where you walk in the streets. And the whole idea behind that, as you well know, is to allow the, the, to, to wander, to not be purposeful, not go A to B, but go A to something, but with an intention, the intention being usually to ask a question and get an answer. Um, 
but not in a predictable way. So, so um, building into our very A to B transactional days, the reminding ourselves, remembering that we, our creativity, our thinking, our compassion, our connection with the world is often, is often uh, appears in those gaps that you talk about, no, not when we're focusing in a, in a, in a, in a you know, uh, the way we were taught at school, focusing on a subject, you know, quietly and so on. Think about how many, how often people slept into the office and then there was a kind of no speaking rule. It's like, well, what the hell are we here for in, this, in a sense? Um, and I think that you are absolutely right that this, the, you know, that the technology we're using currently is very efficient, but is it effective? Uh, it's very efficient and it's designed by engineers, no disrespect to engineers, but they're very good at, you know, efficiency, but is it effective? And I would say, mm, depends, right? And so there will be conversations where you need that soak time, the wander time. And um, it's, what, it's, what, it's what stimulated us at Street Wisdom, especially when we were taken away, the, the opportunity of wandering in the, in the street actually was taken away from people because of the pandemic and because of rules in different parts of the world. We began to explore what it was like to wander inside, wander in the office, wander in your house, and also via the internet. So what that turned into is a new way of doing street wisdom, which is I think probably now our new, our new way. It's been fantastically liberating. We will start on the laptop and then horror of horrors, shock of shocks, ask people to leave the laptop, but listen to the laptop. So suddenly laptop is radio. My gosh, what would that be like? Not to have to sit and look. I mean, in an age where we over-index on the visual, it actually it's very freeing for people to listen to the internet, but, but not look at it, which is why people turn their cameras off, obviously. But then to go out into the street, to wander in that three-dimensional world out there, and then return to the laptop. And it, it, it's forced us all, I think, to explore that intersection of the, the analog and the digital world. They both have their strengths, uh, but I think they are working together now more, uh, sort of better than they ever have. We're forcing ourselves to think about what needs to be analog and what could be digital and how do we interact between those two things. And I think that's actually quite a healthy thing. David, I think you're now sparking people's interest about street wisdom. So, and you've given a sense of where it came from, that sort of genesis of you know, taking people out onto the street to reflect on a particular issue or challenge to discuss something and using the inspiration uh, around them. Could you say a little bit more about uh, how it would actually work? If somebody went to a street wisdom event, what would they, what would they experience? And then if I could, I could share a reflection back to you, uh, something that occurred to me earlier today, thinking about it. But yeah, how does, how, does it, how does it work? If people were to go to a street wisdom event, what would they experience? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for asking, because I, I, it's so familiar to me, I sometimes forget. I mean, the good news is it's super simple. It took years to get super simple, but basically what you'd experience is uh, me or someone better than me, um, it, you know, welcoming you, and whether this is online or, or in, you know, on the street corner. Um, you then go through a period, which a short, like 15 minute session we call the tune up, which really should be called the tune in, because essentially they're little short walks, two, three minutes where you wander about 
with a simple instruction in mind, like it could be something like see the color, look for the color red or something. And these little instructions wake up your sensory, your sensory apparatus so that you are picking up more information than you would normally. And why is that important? Because the next phase is called the quest. Very Lord of the Rings. But basically, it's, 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 it's about going out, as you say, and with a question. And there's something about having a wonder with a question in mind that, 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 that turns the environment into your creative buddy. It starts to suggest things to you and there's a sort of purposefulness to it. And people pick up all sorts of potential answers to what's on their mind. And then you return and you share essentially what popped out at you and how might it be an answer to your question. And that's important because this is not problem solving, but it is playing with problems and allowing your unconscious mind to suggest things that it might not ordinarily do in the, li the linear transactional business of daily life. That's, that's, really how it, that's really how it works. I will say, um, and I know you've, got your, your, you've had your own experiences of street wisdom, that we've thought about it increasingly less as an event, more as a practice, and indeed a way of working. I'd love to explore that more, you know, with, with your listeners or whatever, but what if the not just your home or the office were workspaces but what about everywhere in between could we use the areas around our familiar localities to be our creative partner to be places where we do the work we do the thinking work or it it it, it and the reason i say that is because it's easier <laughs> people report back they get floods of thoughts when they're on the move in a way that they don't when they're stuck in either their bedroom or you know floor number nine what were you what were you going to add because you said you had a little insight this morning well yeah it, it, it was around the tune in and i i recall and and just for a bit of background color um we we were doing this around uh, brick lane weren't we this particular event was around brick lane and uh, you, you gave us these various instructions and then sent us off for 10 minutes. And one of them was, I got it right, was just slow down. Uh, at just slow down. And we could interpret that in whatever way we wanted. It could be everything from the breathing to how fast you're walking. I think for the first time ever in London, I found myself going at a snail's pace and mm. just walking around and my breathing slowed down. And it was almost an out of, it sounds a bit weird, it sounds almost an out of body experience, you know, because you are so out of sync with everything going on around you with people rushing, just walking slowly and then just noticing everything and just paying attention to, yeah, the sounds, the smells. And that is something which I have brought back into, you know, just going out for a walk at, at lunchtime is just thinking, slow down you know, forget how many steps you're going to do, how many, you know, how many miles a minute in terms of your walk, you know, forget the Apple Watch or the Fitbit, it's just slow down. And once you start <laughs> to slow down, it all start, yeah, that, that information out there starts to, starts to come in. So I, I think that slow down instruction was, uh, was so helpful. I'm glad, I'm glad. I mean, it's, it's the simple stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not a great slow person myself. <laughs> you can probably hear from the speed that I talk and, and you know, my mind's rattling away. But I, for me, what I've found over the years that's really interesting about that simple instruction is it, it kind of gives you permission to change your tempo 
I'm a musician back by background, so tempo is important to me. And I think when Ian decides to change his tempo to be out of sync, as you put it, with the prevailing tempo, I think there's some magic in that. I think it could work the other way around if you're in a very, you know, very calm place, maybe speeding it up. So I, I'm not sure that, I think there are some things about slowness, some particular qualities about that. I think though that there's a, a another, there's another treasure for, for both of us and everyone in that which is realizing that you have the ability to set your own tempo as you wish it and no one needs to give you permission to do that some of them some of them although we think we do need what's interesting is that is that um you know especially in office life we submit to a protocol which says what we you know after a conversation you hit the button and you don't slow down you carry on because this is productive and so on the fitbit tells you so and so and so forth but i think we we mistake velocity and productivity some things need slow stewing and kind of they need that a slower tempo some need a super fast tempo so understanding moment to moment what is the appropriate tempo is i think a real art and something we could all we could all ponder on a little bit more. What does the moment need of me right now? And I've seen some people who are unbelievably great performers in different walks of life. I'm sure you will have as well, is they never seem hurried. They can seem fast. But I mean, you look at Bruce Springsteen, he's not my, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but I've seen him, I've seen him perform. And that guy's never hurried. I mean, he might be crazily, you know, running around stage and the great performers and so on. But they're not like hurried, like, you know, and, and so there's something about choosing consciously your tempo that I think whatever happens post pandemic, you know, we had a slower tempo imposed on us. But even as the perhaps the, the, the default springs back to a slightly more frenetic pace, remember that moment to moment, you still can choose for yourself the speed you're going to be at. And it gets quite magical, as you point out, when you slightly go against the prevailing beat. Yeah, you'll find you said you were async, you know, out of synchronicity with other with everything else. But actually, what happens is, I think, when you slow down, you come into synchrony with other creatures and beings that have that slower tempo. So. There are trees around, and I get. I guess they've got a slightly slower tempo than us. Or people, rough sleepers, for example. Often, often conversations happen between people on a street wisdom and people who are in public spaces, but not going at the business-like speed. It's very interesting. It's, it's try it, listeners. See what happens. I think you'll find you'll be amused by the results. Well, two thoughts occur to me, and the first one seems uh, slightly strange and a slightly weird analogy to make but it did strike me when you were talking about these these problems that need to that need they need slow cooking initially they need yeah. to stew we're talking about you know the lamb shanks and the beef shin of business problems uh that you know marinade first and let them stew for a while uh, there's your next book ian there's your next book it's right there it's right you don't need more than that it's a bestseller i can see it already but the but the other the other thing I was going to to ask you is, is are there you know of all the street wisdoms that you've done are there any uh, sort of 
examples you could share, revelations that people have had that you would be comfortable to mention? Yeah, I mean, thank you for asking. There, there's, there, there's quite a lot of stories in the book I wrote, Wonderful, which was partly for me, looking back over 10 years of what's now nearly 10 years of street wisdom, I wanted to kind of think, figure out what am I learning? What, what is this thing? And there was so much consistency in different parts of the world and nothing to do with me, no vested interest with people coming back with very similar kinds of crazy stories that I thought, well, there's definitely a theme there. So I think one of the things that you'll hear a lot is, we've talked about already, synchronicity, this idea of there's no reason why I should have bumped into that person, but I did, and they had exactly the answer I needed. So there are countless examples of that. Um, one that just strikes, it comes to mind is a friend of mine, Scott Morrison, the boom as he's known uh when he first did street wisdom he was the marketing director of um diesel the apparel company and he was pondering whether to leave and set up his own company um wandered by chance onto a road by chance i say that inverted commas but you know there was an intelligence that was not conscious but nevertheless intelligent that wandered him perhaps onto a road that he used to work at and bumped into for no reason at all. Three people in the space of half an hour he used to work with who do not let, still work there. And one of whom had, was only in town for a couple of weeks from Australia. All three of them started the conversation with, have you left yet? Now, and he took that to be a sign, if you like. And then I think there are examples of people who come up with business ideas on Street Wisdom. Uh, a, um, a guy was looking to see whether he could make more money from his hobby. His hobby was um, beer. <laughs> but he wanted to do something healthy and he came up with, through a series of chance encounters, the idea of healthy, a healthy beer. Well, and, and thinking about how the monks used to do that, so he created a beer brand. Thank you, David. Now look, the great thing about what you do is it's really hard to predict what you might do or write about next. So look, are there any plans currently unfolding, ambitions left or to fulfill? Oh, wow, my God. I th honestly, it feels like day one. You know, I, I said to my wife recently, I said, look, if I had to die tomorrow, which I don't intend to do, it's been great. But I have to say, it does feel like day one. You know, so I, there is that kind of, it's probably, I don't know, some neurosis or something, but I always feel like, okay, what, you know, I, yes, we've done lots, but what can we get on to do? I think what's got my attention at the moment, um, Ian, is the, it's on everyone's mind. It's the, I suppose it's, it's, the, it's life on earth. <laughs> People call it sustainability. I think sustainability's kind of got a, a misunderstanding in it, which is like, well, have, what can we do in order to sustain the, sustain the way we're living? I, I don't think that is the point. The point is how do we need to live in a way that's the best for us and everyone around us. And I'm, I'm interested in that. It seems to be in every project that I'm involved in. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in, in approaching that in a way that is neither catastrophic nor just sort of dismissive. You know, how do we not paralyze ourselves with fear at the same time, not get too giddy and too sort of overconfident. And so a lot of my work is in, in it, it, you know, it has got that in it. Um, and I think, I think for me, continuing to explore how we work together, how we can do this together. I don't think any of us make it to Oz alone, right? We don't get to see the Wizard of Oz without the straw man. I need you, you need me. 
I think the pandemic showed us that. And I think the idea of ensemble, of collaboration, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, the, 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 the recently departed um, uh, a Buddhist philosopher, was fond of saying, I think the next Buddha will be a group, not a person. The next Buddha will be a group, not a person. And I, and I take that, I think that's a really profound thought that, that we don't, we, we now work together. We've created a world that's sufficiently complex that we need to be multi-headed, multi-hearted, creative thinking, doing, doings. Um, and I find that really, very, you know, really interesting. And who knows, who knows if the business world actually leads in many areas, it's, it, gets, it, gets, it gets a bad press. But in terms of the enterprises that I've seen around the world um, and how professionals are rethinking their roles, you know, from caterpillar to butterfly, I think that we could see some really interesting things being led, but led by the world of enterprise that we can all learn from. So I'm, that's why I'm happy to keep, you know, working, whether it's in an office or out of the office. Uh, you know, the kind of conversations I have with people like you just keep, you know, sustain me and continue to keep me curious. Excellent. So it's a case of watch this space. David, thank you so, <laughs> so much, so much for joining joining me today. Uh, as always, it has been fascinating, enlightening, uh, an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Likewise, really, really, it's a, it, it's a joy to be doing this. Thank you. Thank you, David.